not just stand up, right? Stand up, stand up for who? There you go. That's the key. A lot of people standing up for a lot of things today, right? But, uh, you know, we need to stand up for Jesus. Second Chronicles chapter 9. Second Chronicles chapter 9. I really have no idea what to expect tonight. I feel sorry for you guys. <clears throat> I've been um, kind of working through some of this stuff this week, and uh, I just don't know. I, I don't know. We'll see. Usually I got a nice outline. I got everything in place as a whole. There's no outline, really. There's just a bunch of stuff here, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, I've been focusing and looking at the life of Rehoboam a little bit, and uh there's just so much there, and so I thought we'd take some time <clears throat> to consider some lessons from a king and son of the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, just amazing, isn't it? Can you imagine being a, the son of the wisest man who ever lived? Uh, my children come close. 
<clears throat> but, but Rehoboam had me beat, okay? I mean, Rehoboam had them beat, I should say. So 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 22, we're going to begin reading there. We're going to read through verse 31. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 22. And King Solomon passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom that God had put in his heart. They brought every man his present, vessels of silver and vessels of gold and raiment, harness and spices, horses and mules, a rate year by year. And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed in the chariot cities and with the king at, at Jerusalem. He reigned over all the kings from the river, even unto the land of the Philistines, and to the border of Egypt. And the king made silver in Jerusalem as stones, and cedar trees made he as the sycamore trees that are in the low plains in abundance. They brought unto Solomon horses out of Egypt and out of all lands. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan, the prophet? In the prophecy of Ahijah, the Shilonite, and in the visions of Ido, the seer against Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years, and Solomon slept with his fathers. He was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. Father, tonight we come to you. <clears throat> we just ask, Lord, that you would take your word and do something in our lives. We need you tonight. Thank you for the simple word of God. May we take that simple word and simply apply it. Lord, we ask for your leadership tonight. May you walk these aisles and do a work in our hearts. May we be inspired to be better for you. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. We have the reign of Solomon that's been addressed and dealt with here in the passage. As he passes off the scene, we're given somewhat of a commentary of his life. It's really amazing to think about all the accomplishments that Solomon had arrived at in his lifetime. The Bible expresses the great wisdom of Solomon and how so many came from all around the world to hear his wisdom. It speaks about the riches that he had, his possessions, the successes that he experienced as a leader, as a man. I'm not so sure I've ever been rivaled. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around what, I mean, we think about people that have $100 billion. But let me tell you that Solomon was rich beyond our wildest imagination. It's hard to wrap our minds around the reality of the greatness of this man. A king, a man whom God says represents the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, his kingdom does. It's amazing. And now Solomon has found himself 
buried in the city of David along with his fathers. Now Rehoboam reigns in his stead. Now his son steps up to the plate and becomes the king of Israel. What a responsibility that is. In chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for to Shechem where all, where all Israel came to make him king. It all gathered together, and they're going to elevate, they're going to lift him up and place him on the throne, where he'll rule and reign. There's another character, however, that looms and weighs heavy in this story. A man by the name of Jeroboam. Jeroboam had opposed Solomon. It stood in his way. And as a result of that, Solomon had sought his life. Jeroboam flees to Egypt, where he remains until the death of Solomon. Now he's sent for. And he returns from Egypt, where he fled from Solomon. The people of Israel gather around him. They allow him and a few others to be their spokespersons. They go and speak to Solomon, or go and speak to Rehoboam. And they give Rehoboam an ultimatum. They basically say, Your dad was hard on us. And the truth is, is that. If we're going to serve you, you're going to have to let up a little bit. You're going to have to lighten the load. You're going to have to cut the work week back. You're going to have to make things a little bit more bearable. I don't know about you, but there's Jeroboam standing with them. I know we give old Rehoboam a pretty bad rap, and we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to nail him on it here in a minute. But can I tell you, as long as Jeroboam was standing in that crowd, I don't know how much I'd have wanted to comply with them either. As long as they had somebody else that they were prepared to turn to, as long as they had another person that they said could be raised up as king, and that's why he was back, can I tell you, it had been hard for me as the coming or next reigning king to say, that's fine, let me comply with all of your demands, because in my mind I may have thought, they're going to turn to him anyway. Now again, we're going to note something here in a few, just a moment that maybe goes somewhat contrary to that philosophy, but I'm not so sure that maybe he didn't think that way a little bit. So they speak to him. They offer an ultimatum. And so, like any wise king, he goes to his advisors. In reality, they were his dad's advisors. In reality, they were the advisors that Solomon had ultimately turned to and often turned to for advice. Amazing when you think about it. He was the wisest man, but he had those that he sought advice from. That's wisdom too, by the way. So he hears their advice. Their advice is, might be something to it. Your dad was pretty tough. Things got a little rough there toward the ends, Rehoboam. 
Might be a wise thing to hear what they have to say. Might be a wise thing to really look into it. There's areas we could possibly compromise in in this regard. He listens to their advice. And then he decides, well, you know, I've got a few friends too. They're pretty smart too. They're pretty wise also. And so he seeks the counsel of his peers. They instruct him to turn up the heat. They tell him to increase the burden. They tell him to make it rougher than ever, and you let them know it too, right up front. You don't come in here demanding anything of me. I'm the king. I'll tell you how it's going to go. If I wanted your advice, your input, I'd have asked. Now, that is not exactly what he said necessarily, but I'm not so sure that that might not have been the tone of it. As I mentioned already, I think they made a grave error when they already called Jeroboam to come back from Egypt. And so it already was a threat. By the way, how you approach your leaders is very important. That was not a humble way to approach a leader. That was wrong how they did it. There was nothing wrong with them going and asking the leader to take a step back and to reconsider. But it certainly was wrong for them to call a strong arm in, a hitman in, and have him standing there and saying, I'm with them. You do it or else. That's not how you approach leadership. That's not how you approach your parents. That's not how you approach your pastor. That's not how you approach your husband. That's not how you approach a teacher. That's not how you approach a police officer. So he disregards the counsel of the elderly and instead follows the advice of his peers. Now, I do think it's important to note that God had already foretold that Jeroboam would rule. It was already a done deal. It was already prophesied. So it was going to happen. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 35 and 36, let's go ahead and turn there, would you? 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to read that, and we're going to recognize that God had already made this clear. But see, we also cannot forget that God has foreknowledge. So we have to be careful that we don't say, well, you know what? He, Jeroboam would have reigned anyway. If he would have yielded to them, he still would have been on the throne. They would have just circumvented his authority and know-how anyway. They would have just done what they wanted to do. But hold on. God already knew this was going to go down. And not only that, but there was some real sin that had taken place and transpired, and so God wasn't real happy. Now watch what happens here in 1 Kings 11, verse 35. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand. That's Rehoboam. And I will give it unto thee even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, 
the city which I have chosen, me to put my name there. 1 Kings 11, 35 and 36. It was already prophesied that this Jeroboam would ultimately reign over 10, 11 tribes. We're going to see that Judah and Benjamin stick around. They help out with Jerusalem and Rehoboam. So in verse 19 of chapter 10, we're going to see from this point on that Israel would rebel against the house of David. There's a rebellion that's taking place now. And the result of that rebellion is a divided kingdom. Where once Israel was one, where once Israel was whole, once they were complete, now they're divided. Do you realize that Israel went into captivity divided? Israel's prophesied as being divided. Israel will not become part a whole again until Jesus Christ returns. He's going to put it all back together the way it's supposed to be. During the tribulation period, things are going to be moving in that direction and we're going to see all 12 tribes mobilized at one time for a change. We're going to see those witnesses in chapter 7 going out throughout the whole world. We're going to begin to see Ezekiel 37 coming to life during that tribulation and ultimately as they go into the millennial reign, they'll all be one and the king will sit on the throne of David. But for now, they're divided. And they've been divided all these years. I don't know about you, but division, when it comes to nations, divisions when it comes to families, division when it comes to churches, that's not really a good thing. It's not a positive thing usually. It's a sad thing. It's why the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs chapter 6. Turn there, would you please? Proverbs chapter 6. give you the verse in just a moment. It's pretty bad when you can't find the verses you're looking for. Probably in the wrong place. Where does it say there are six things, things, yea, seven, that God hates? Does anybody remember? Excuse me, but I've heard... Yeah, I was just going to say I heard six different chapters. Uh, 16, okay, there it is. Okay, there you go, thank you. Verse 16, there we go. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me a lot like God's upset with those that sow discord and bring division. It's called an abomination. 
I want to share mistake number one. Mistake number one is that Rehoboam followed the advice of his peers instead of his father's counselors. It's nothing new. We've heard that before, I know. But that's a mistake that he made. I think it's a mistake that today in the age in which we live is being made more and more all the time. I believe that the, the longer I live and the more I observe our society, I recognize and realize that young people are more today than ever being turned away from authority and turned away from the elder generation. He followed the advice of his peers instead of his father's counselors. What I notice is that every generation believes that they know more than the last one. I mean, that's true pretty much in every generation. It's always been the case. Every generation believes that they have somehow evolved, that they've somehow surpassed the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge, the perception, the observations of the past. We have somehow gotten beyond where they are. They are sitting back in the dark ages. We're finally, you know, cutting through, uh, uh, you know, like what's it say in Star Trek? Uh, some of you Trekkies should know all that stuff. What's he say in that? Oh, you guys don't even know the old one. You probably all you know is that new stuff. I don't even watch that stuff. I don't, I don't even know what that is all about. But uh, they boldly go where no man has gone before. Remember that? You remember that? Okay, that's the old one. And you know what? That's what young people think. They're boldly going where no man has gone before. They think somehow they're creating a new way, cutting through the wilderness, a new path. And that's been true in almost, I think, every generation that I'm aware of, at least in my lifetime for sure. And it may not be true in some cultures, but in our culture, in America, it is the case. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Listen, do not look to your elders. Do not consider the advice and ultimately heed the advice of those that have experienced life. That's just pride. I mean, that's prideful. That's arrogant. We're not saying that young people don't have great new ideas. And can I tell you that just because something's new doesn't make it wrong. I mean, there was a time when if you would have introduced a sound system to churches across America, they'd have probably said it had to be of Satan. I mean, I get that. I understand that. You certainly wouldn't have put nothing on a screen like that. And if you did, you'd at least be recognized as being liberal. I'm just saying that there's nothing wrong with new. However, I do believe it's very, very dangerous not to heed the advice Especially seek the advice of the elder. Okay, he sought it, but he didn't heed it. He sought it, but he didn't genuinely probably want it. He wanted to see what his buddy said, and I think, unfortunately, that seems to be the case more often than not. Proverbs 16, 25 goes on to say, There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Every generation believes they know more than the last. It's a bad move, bad, bad, bad thought, bad philosophy. <clears throat> Matter of fact, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. You say, oh man, it's really different today than it was when I grew up. There's nothing new under the sun. 
takes on different shapes and forms. It may look and appear much different, but it's still the same basic fundamentals. We were talking about some things yesterday, Brother Mark and I, and I, we were talking about how, I, we were saying about how, you know, although this world seems to be in such a big mess and everything else, you know what, it's looked like it's been in a mess a lot of times. I mean, let some of you go back to the 1960s. Some of you go back when you lived during the Civil War. <clears throat> okay. Okay, maybe there's nobody that old here. But you know what, we've gone through hard times in America, haven't we? You know, we're just going through another hard time. I don't know what the consequences will be, but what I know is we've still got God on the throne. Every generation believes they know more than the last, but also it's important to realize we're shaped by those we surround ourselves with. I mean, ultimately, the decision that Rehoboam makes is a result of the young people that he hung around. It's about the friends that he had, the influence that he permitted in his life. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, the Bible says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Well, that's pretty straightforward. You want to be wise, you pick somebody or find somebody that's wise, and you hang around them, you watch them, you observe them, you allow them to influence your life. If you want to be wise, then hang around some wise people. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now, I don't know about you, but I got this sneaking suspicion. Just a suspicion that Rehoboam had a few fools as friends. I bet you if we could really get down to it, I bet you he had some friends who probably were more than happy to hang around him because his daddy was the king and it had probably been real nice to have a friend like that who had access to anything you really ever wanted. I mean, he's willing to go out and take a ski trip when you wanted to take a ski trip. I mean, he would get that, as Brother Cavanaugh talked about, that, that two-hump camel and go out into the wilderness. And I mean, they had all the luxuries and all the things that, man, I mean, it was great. He had money. He had notoriety. He had probably all the girls were checking him out. Man, I'm hanging with Rehoboam. But that doesn't mean that they were real friends. <laughs> we know when the money falls and flees, the next thing you know, the friends take off for the hills. Those kind of friends. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Turn there, would you? Again, this is, I believe, one of his first mistakes. He followed the advice of his peers instead of his father's counselors. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, obviously, there's a progression taking place here, isn't there? It's pretty, pretty clear. I mean, give me one of these. Uh, yeah, come on up here, brother. Yeah. You know I'm looking right at you. 
Whose kid is that anyway? <laughs> Isaac, what am I going to do with you, buddy? Okay, so anyway, <laughs> so here's how it goes. Come on over here, Isaac. Now watch. Who's going to read that? Brother Josh, you read that for me real loud, okay? Here we go. Watch this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Stop. Okay, now watch. This guy is nothing but wicked. You see him? You can tell. He's wearing all black. <laughs> so he's wicked. Now watch. He's walking along. and Go ahead and read it again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay, right there. We're walking together. Now watch what happens here. Go ahead. Turn around. Let's go. Okay, stop right there. They go from walking to now we're standing. I mean, we're getting planted here now. We're getting comfortable here with this guy. We're not just acquaintances. We're not just rubbing shoulders anymore. We're having conversation. We're really getting kind of listening to what each other has to say. I'm getting some input. I'm allowing him to basically influence me at this point. But hold on, it doesn't stop there. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sitting with them. We're fellowshipping all the time. We've not only walked together, we've not only stood and got to know each other, but now we're literally fellowshipping on a regular basis. We're allowing this relationship to be flourishing now. I've sat with them now. i become one of them now. At first, I just kind of brushed by or brushed with them. Now I rub shoulders with them and here I am now, I've become one of them. And that's exactly how it goes with our friends. Thanks. We find it, it's, it's just a, a progression. It's no big deal. It's not like I'm going to marry her. Really? Really? I mean, we're just friends. I mean, I know, I, I know it can't go any further than friends because he's not really saved. Oh, yeah, okay. And that's the way it is in every area of our life as well. We've got to be so careful. I believe Rehoboam made some real errors in this area. And as a result of that, when it came time to seek advice, when it came time to actually make decisions, those decisions were hindered and hampered because of those that he permitted to shape his thinking. So you better be real careful who you let in your home. You know, CNN, MSNBC, who you let in your home certain movies that have philosophies that they push, that they shove down our throats. I'm just saying we got to be real careful because we like to kind of take, you know, what we think is the high ground. Well, I don't have friends like that. But you let them in your home through the television. We let them in the home through what we listen to. We let them into our lives by, by what we, we, we view on our social media accounts and our Facebook accounts and our, all that mess. I'm telling you, you better be careful. 
We're shaped by those we surround ourselves with. Listen, I, I don't watch Ellen Degenerate because I don't agree with her lifestyle. I think she's one of the most talented, young, uh, talented women that there are. She's funny. She seems kind. Now they say she's a nasty person behind the scenes. That's what they, I read that. And I'm sure it was real because it was on the internet. And she seems wonderful. Listen, I have no beef with her as, a, as, as an entertainer. My goodness, I, I, I could sit and watch her and she, she kind of makes me laugh if I sit down and watch her. She's funny. But I, I, I don't want that influence in my life. I don't want it. We better be careful who we allow to influence us. I mean, who are your heroes? I wonder, are they still married to the woman they married five years ago? How many children do they have out of wedlock? We better be careful who we allow to be our, you know, role models. Those we look up to so much. Man, this guy's a great basketball player. I know, but what's he like as a human being? Because I promise you that his philosophy of life will not align itself with the word of God if he's not living that way. And that is going to ultimately impact you. It will ultimately shape your thinking. Oh, no, I'm bigger than that. I'm wiser than that. I'm past all that. Really? Yeah. That's why God warns us about it all the time in the Bible. Because we're all so much stronger than God says we are. We as older men and women need to be very careful with this. You know, we all think that we can look at things we shouldn't look at. We can handle it. Well, you know, we're past all that mess. Now, we, we don't get tempted like we used to when we were young. Huh? Really? I'm just kind of wondering, have you stopped living? Are you literally dead? Because otherwise, you still got that old flesh, and so do I. Funny how young people are. Young people look at older people and they think, oh, they don't have to deal with none of the stuff I got to deal with. You know how it was when you were young. You thought all the older people, they didn't even, you know, they had no wood in the fire or nothing like that. Nothing ever got going. No temptation. Nothing bothers them. Okay. His first mistake, he followed the advice of his peers instead of his father's counselors. Chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible goes on to say, you know, this divided kingdom bothered him. Understandably so. But, but he wants to take it by force now. He's ready to go to war. He's ready to go to battle with Jeroboam because he wants it all. And I don't know that I don't blame him. So he gathers the soldiers of the house of Judah and Benjamin. When Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he gathered of the house of Judah and Benjamin a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men. That's 180,000 chosen men. 
which were warriors to fight against Israel, that he might bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam. I think that's interesting wording, isn't it? <laughs> that's kind of neat, isn't it? I mean, look at that for a minute. Rehoboam, what's your goal? What's your purpose in all this? To bring the kingdom back to me. You mean back to, back to what pleases God, right? No, well, of course. Of course. That's, that's always about God. Well, then why didn't you say that? I think it's kind of interesting. So he gathers these soldiers and this 180,000, he is going to go and he's going to take back the kingdom so that he could rule and reign over all of Israel, not just a piece or part. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 4, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, ye shall not go up nor fight against your brethren. Return every man to his house, for this thing is done of me. So this is what I have done, Rehoboam. This is my plan. My purpose is being fulfilled in this division now. I'm not really a fan of division, nor do I like it in any way. But... I brought it to pass because of some of the things that were going on in the kingdom. There's consequences for sin, Rehoboam. This just happens to be one of them. And they obeyed the words of the Lord in return from going against Jeroboam. Now, interestingly enough, Rehoboam, he's going to regroup now. And the truth is, according to verses 5 through 12, he's going to go on to build very strong cities. They're going to be cities that are safe and that are economically strong. I mean, he is going to succeed. He's going to really do a great job here. Jeroboam, on the other hand. Jeroboam, he institutes idolatry across the board. He just downright says, you know what? We're going to worship idols. No qualms about it. Doesn't even try to hide it. He causes the priests and the Levites that were in Israel to kind of migrate to Judah and to Rehoboam. We don't have any need of you anymore. If you don't want to worship an idol, if you don't want to help us with idolatry, then you have no purpose here. Man, they're like, hey, we want to worship the Lord still. There were still some men of God in Israel, and they made their way down to Judah. Then there were people of God who sought to worship Jehovah and would go to Jerusalem to worship, to sacrifice. They'd run down there and they would take care of business because they knew they needed to go to Jerusalem to do that. 2 Chronicles eleven sixteen says, And after them out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. So all the tribes of Israel that set their hearts to seek the Lord went down to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord their God. For three years, the kingdom of Judah and Rehoboam grew stronger and stronger as they walked in the way of David and Solomon. Success. Because of their exercising of faith and truth. 
And Rehoboam, look in verses 18 through 23 here. We're going to note something about Rehoboam now. His family begins to grow. And the Bible even tells us that he dealt wisely. In 2 Chronicles eleven twenty one, you're there, I trust. And Rehoboam loved Mekah, the daughter of Absalom, above all his wives and his concubines. For he took 18 wives and threescore concubines and begat 20 and 8 sons and threescore daughters. Whew. 2 Chronicles eleven twenty three, And he dealt wisely and dispersed of all his children throughout all the countries of Judah and Benjamin unto every fenced city. And he gave them victuals in abundance. And he desired many wives. Well, good for him. Now, the Bible says he dealt wisely, and you know, it's interesting because if you, when you read these things, you, get the, you may get the wrong impression, but understand that Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. I think this is really interesting because, see, his dad, Solomon, reigned 40 years over Israel. So that means that he was born a year before his dad began to reign as king. That means that his dad literally was on the throne the whole time he was growing up. It also means he wasn't really that young at this point. So he's been having some children now. Some of those children are getting older. He's in the, the, the early days, the sunrise of his his kingdom, if you will, his rulership. And here he is now sending some of his children out, dispersing them throughout all the countries of Judah and Benjamin, and he dealt very wisely in doing so. Eighteen wives, 60 concubines, 28 sons and 60 daughters. That's 88 children now. Mistake number two. Here we go. You may have an idea of what's coming. He followed in the footsteps of his father Solomon when it came to women. That's a mistake. Now, again, God had discouraged multiplying wives, okay? He discouraged that. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, as it addresses and deals with kings uh, prophetically, so to speak. He's prophesying what the king ought to be. He says, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. To himself, mind you. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. That was God's intention. That's what God wanted. That's what his desire was for the king. Rehoboam would go on to follow in his father's footsteps to some degree in this area. And I say to some degree in this area, because if you're in 1 Kings, look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. Go to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. The Bible says, and he, it's talking about Solomon now, he had 700 wives. Princes, 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. This guy's going buck wild. 
and his wives turned away his heart. You see that? That sounds a lot like what God had said would happen. Do you know God's always right? For it came to pass when Solomon was old. And can I tell you this, and I'm just going to say it. The older you get, it seems to me, this is just from personal experience, the older you get, the more tempted you are to relax on your standards. I don't know what it is. You just feel like, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. (sighs) You know how it is. When you were young, you understood got to draw the line in the sand on some things. You know, you're not supposed to be touching and kissing before you're married, but eh, you're older now. No big deal. Throw that standard out the window. Like I said before, your music standard, I mean, come on, I'm older now. It's not going to have the same effect as it would have when I was young and you know, it just I've been doing this a long time. I guess I'll just la- lighten up a little bit. It won't be such a big deal. I can watch some things that I never used to watch, and I can do some things I used to never do. I can go places I wouldn't have gone. I can... You know where I'm going with that? God says, and it came to pass... Oh, excuse me. And he, Solomon... It's talking about him, had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wife turned away his heart, for it came to pass when Solomon was young, when he was old. Do you think it, I wonder how long it took him to accumulate 700 wives and 300 concubines. Let's see, let's just say there was a wedding a day. I mean... You know where I'm going with this, right? I mean, three years, you know, three solid years of weddings. I mean, that's rough. I mean, that's got to be really tough on the bank account. So let's spread it out. Let's just say he only has a, you know, he spreads it out over six years, you know, one every other day. That's still not really working, is it? I mean, how many years did it take Solomon to accumulate this many wives and concubines. Well, the reason I say that is, is that he's probably had a lot of wives for a lot of time, for a lot of part of it, for a great part of his ministry or a great part of his rulership. 40 years, right? I think it's interesting that it wasn't until he was old that they turned his heart away. We better be careful if we're getting up in age. Because we too could have our heart turned away from the Lord. It's no sure thing that I've lived for 25, 35, 40 years for the Lord. I'm safe now. Mm, No guarantees. According to the Bible, this is the wisest man in the world. You let your guard down. You don't know what could happen. And it came to pass. Excuse me, I'm reading the wrong one again. He goes, for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart from other God, after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. 
Someone says, yeah, well, we know what happened with David. Can I tell you that God sees David different than you do then? I don't know about you, but I'm glad God forgave him. And I'm glad God allowed him to resume the position that he had. Oh, there were consequences in his life because of the bad decisions he made. However, God saw him (laughs) as the greatest king by which he compared all other kings to. Be careful. We're going to have to be careful how we view people, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but we won't get to it today. But For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. See, what God permits is not necessarily what he condones. And we have to keep that in mind because sometimes we might get the wrong idea. The consequences of this blatant disregard for God's standard would cost Solomon. It would cost his family. It would cost the nation. Sadly, Rehoboam is also straying going in the wrong direction. He followed in the footsteps of his father Solomon when it came to women. That was a mistake. Just because our fathers do something, because many people may elevate them and say how wonderful they were in spite of it all, doesn't mean you and I should follow in their footsteps. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not telling you not to obey them. I'm not telling you not to, to be influenced by your parents. I'm not saying that you shouldn't respect them and honor them. But can I be honest with you? They're human too. There, if there are some things in my life that were a negative testimony to my children, or if I was doing something that wasn't biblically sound, I would not want my children to follow in my footsteps in that area. I don't want them to. You're a chip off the old block. Well, if it's a chip off the old block in the direction of sin, I say let's depart from it. Let's embrace the good qualities and characteristics, the godly ones, but let's forsake the ones that didn't add up or measure up to God's standard. Rehoboam. We noted two mistakes just two today. He followed the advice of his peers instead of his father's counselors. And he followed in the footsteps of his father Solomon when it came to women. I wonder today how you're doing in your relationship with the Lord. See, it's one thing to serve the Lord today, but question, where will you be in six months? Are the habits that you've developed in your life and that you are applying today habits that ultimately lead you to the promised land? Who are you allowing to influence your life? Is there anyone or anything that you probably ought to remove? So those are tough decisions. Yeah, they are, but 
again, we have to be very careful because God's word is always true. I mean, the moment you think you got a better way than God, you're going to find yourself in a bad spot. I got to believe Solomon was a good boy. But can I tell you that good boys don't make godly men? It's not the case all the time. There's a lot of good people in the world. But let's be honest. There's not that many godly. You're a Sunday school teacher at Community Baptist Temple. You sing in the choir. You're involved in outreach. You work in the nurseries. You help in ministry across the board. Is it enough to simply be good? Or should you be godly? I want to encourage you, and as I encourage you, I truly need to encourage myself to focus on godliness. Let's not let anyone or anything steer us away from him. Be careful, because the devil wants to bring you down, and he wants to give God a black eye today. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you would just bless us and help us again, Lord. We've looked at Rehoboam and just noted a couple of mistakes he's made in his life. Lord, like we haven't made a bunch. Lord, may we just think about who's influencing us and who we're allowing to mold us and to shape us. I'm fearful today as to the overwhelming influence that the world has in the lives of all of us as believers today. May you just give us grace to stand against the tide. To not allow ourselves to be shaped by anyone but you or those that represent you well. May your word stand in our lives, the standard that it ought to be. Now help us tonight. We have wandered away from you to recommit ourselves to you, to make up our minds that we want to be godly, not simply good. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed as the music